First, I just wanted to take a moment, this being Memorial Day weekend and serving as an Army veteran. I wanted to just, Ben, before you go, I just wanted to thank you for everything that you do for us. Second Timothy calls on us to be good soldiers for Christ. And as a military veteran, I know that the military always goes towards the music and the band. And what you guys do here is you assemble the troops to serve for Christ. So I was reading the uh, U.S. government website, uh, U.S. Army website, and as you know, the 21-gun salute is the highest military honor that is bestowed on anybody who's served and fallen in the line of duty and in combat. And on the military website, U.S. government website, it says that the origin was originally a seven-gun salute and that the seven was chosen for its biblical significance. And this is on a military government website. It says the Bible states that God rested on the seventh day of creation, that every seventh year was a sabbatical, and that the seven times seven year ushered in the year of Jubilee. That's on the military website, U.S. government website. And that when gunpowder was improved, it lasted longer. They turned it into three times seven. And as we know, three is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God works. <laughs> when I lived in Arlington, I was always able to go over to Arlington Cemetery, and I remember entering the grounds, and the sign said, you are entering hallowed ground. The most hallowed that we have is here in the nation's capital. As everybody knows, the blue star represents serving member in the military. This weekend, we remember the Gold Star families, the ones who have lost a loved one in service to our country. And as we reflect on this, it is about their service, their sacrifice, that we are able to do what we just did right now, gather here in freedom, in faith, and yes, to share a hamburger in the backyard, <laughs> flip a burger, because every veteran who gave their life would say, I don't want that to stop. That's why we're here. And they also, they also gave their lives so people could be better citizens of the United States of America. I think on Veterans Day, it was your first Veterans Day as a citizen. Today is your first Veterans, or your first Memorial Day as a citizen. Sir, at this time, I'd like to ask you to come forward, please, and offer a prayer for the families, for our country, and for the fallen. At this time, I'd like to ask all military veterans to please rise and come to attention as he prays over our congregation. Thank you. Can I read a scripture? I didn't know he was going to do this, but that's okay because God is always ready. John 15, that's a famous verse. Thank you, Chuck. That is awesome. And you may say more, but there's a verse that's often read out on these days, but I'm going to read it again. It says, John 15, it says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You know, it shows us, firstly, that love is not a feeling. No soldier wakes up in the morning and says, today I feel like laying down my life. 
Never happened. So love is not just some feeling. Also shows me that soldiers can be pretty rough around the edges. And they are soldiers and military people who understand far more about love, about loyalty, and about honor than some well-behaved Christians will ever understand. Yeah, because that's what this tells me. That's what this tells me. So can we pray for those today? Father, we thank you that you, in your amazing grace, you understand what it's like to watch a son die. But Lord, we lift up those families today who have lost their sons and daughters or their fathers or their mothers or their children to something called liberty and freedom. And Father, we bring honor to those that they displayed the greatest love of all, which is to give my life for another. It comes from the center of God's heart. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. So Lord, we honor those. We pray for strength today for those families. And we pray that honor remains in this nation. That honor remains. Me who can stand here with a different accent that was not born here. Is freedom. And we pray, Lord, may that stand. May never the sacrifice be in vain. May your purposes and plans remain and stand in this nation because you sit enthroned and you have a plan. And we thank you for that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yep. Yep. Tommy, why don't you come? Tell you a quick story. I uh, just before Tommy comes about this, I was at a wedding a while ago, and there were a bunch of Marines there, and um, as they were, very rough and rowdy. But I, I just love those kind of guys, you know. And so they had seen me like perform the wedding, and they, there was a bunch of them outside, and uh, so I went and just kind of stood there with them, you know, drink in hand. Many of them had a cigar or a cigarette or something. And I stood there, and I said, hey, can I stand with you? And it was great, because, you know, some of them go like, they put the cigarette down. It's this weird thing, you know, people have this weird religious, and I said, just be yourself, relax. And so we're standing there, and we're talking, and um, they speak to me just about, the one guy says, you know, that was cool, you said cool stuff, you know, about, about God and whatever. So we just got talking. And um, I asked him, I said, well, you know, if you guys ever have questions or whatever, but I started honoring them and thanking them. And one of them became emotional. Obviously, you know, he didn't do that. He fixed himself up. And um, they said, they asked me, do you think that God still speaks to people today? And I'm like, oh, buddy, you set yourself up. <laughs> and um, so I said, yes. And so he was, you know, he said, fine. Which one of us is the worst behaved? That's what he said to me. And I said, and I looked at them, and I, you know, saying, God, you know, it can be a joke or it can actually be a moment. So I said, oh, this guy here next to me. And they were all like, uh-huh. So I'm like, yeah. So I said, you know, you're, and then I started to just 
in a sense, gave him a word of knowledge. I said, I see you've done this. I see this has happened. This has happened. And he's looking. He's like, yeah, I've done all those bleeping things. So I'm like, yeah. So I'm like, yeah, but God loves you. And I said, you know, you should probably have some money in a bank account so that we'll bail. You know, and it was like a joke. It was a joke. And he goes, I do. He said, I do. I really do. It was just, but we got to just hang out with these guys. And they were just so real. When the walls come down, there's a heart of absolute love and gold and brotherhood. It's just wonderful. And I think the church can learn a lot from that. Tommy, can I pray for you? Father, thank you for this man as he preaches from your word. And I thank you that it's not him, it's you, but it's not just you, it's also him. There's a partnership here, but it's your word. It's your word that is sharp and pierces. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. I trust that it's not me. You don't want much of that. Uh, In light of Memorial Day, I just want to let you know my, uh, my great uncle. My aunt is here. It's her uncle. He, uh, I never knew him because he was killed in action in World War II. He died when he was 18 or something like that. Uh, but his first name is my middle name. And growing up, uh, you know, if your name isn't just exactly, exactly like your best friend's middle name, it's not cool. So mine wasn't cool. But then, uh, but then later when I learned about him and why I'd never met him, it was, it was a lot more special, something to be proud of. Uh, so with that, good morning. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck. I don't know where you went to go sit, but thank you for that. That was, that was beautiful. And thank you for saying something, too. Amazing. Um, I would like to pray really quick for us. Lord Jesus, you are good. You are here. You are active. Come be with your people. In your perfect name, Amen. Thank you. Uh, the cool thing, my identical twin brother, true story, was here this weekend. Um, and uh, we recently got haircuts accidentally to look really identical. And we were once again being confused for each other like we were growing up. We had tried over the years to make our hair and facial hair different to make it easier on us, too, but uh, we have failed this time. And I'd show you a picture of how similar we look, but you, you don't need one, because I'm right here. That's the, that's the cool thing. I want to share a testimony first. It's not, it's not even mine. A couple weeks ago, a woman came to me and told me that she had received some inner healing and she got to receive and understand some of the Father's love for her in a brand new way that she, she didn't expect. And she went home, and over the next day or two, she received a financial gift from her earthly father to help with a down payment for her house. And then her husband, her, his business expanded. It happened in 48 hours. After that, no one prayed for them specifically. But when she shared that with me, she said that she, she's believing that that's God confirming over and over again how much he loves her. That's amazing. Father, keep being that good to us. 
That's a good way to start. You heard a few minutes ago, uh, before worship, there's going to be an interest meeting for baptisms at the end of the service. We have an event coming up in a few weeks, and we're going to baptize people. Hallelujah. Yeah, hallelujah. Is it this? He's so manly. (laughs) Stubble is is so extreme. This guy can grow a beard literally in a day. (laughs) Most people get a 5 o'clock shadow when they shave in the morning. I shave into the 5 o'clock shadow. That's how it's been since since it happened. Last week, we talked about being born again. And this week, we're going to talk about baptism. We didn't plan it that way. God's just that good. It's the physical representation of a person identifying with Jesus' death and resurrection in their life across all aspects. All aspects. What I'm going to share isn't exhaustive. It's some foundational stuff. It seems that over the past few weeks, God has wanted to re-share some foundational things about his word and truth. And it's some insight I've found that changes a lot of the way I see baptism. And truthfully, it's kind of made me want to be baptized again. Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew 28. We'll get there in a minute. I'm going to start off by posing a question. This question is critical enough that it's a planned, intentional part of a Passover Seder meal in a Jewish home. Children are tasked with asking this question every year when they have this meal. I'll paraphrase it. Why are we doing this? The Passover manual, the Haggadah, literally instructs children to ask that question every year. And we can benefit from having the mindset of a child when it comes to understanding spiritual things. It's okay to ask, even if you're a grown-up. It's okay to ask, and we should ask that question about church things. In this case, baptism. When we do church things, Just because it's what you do at church, we miss the life of God and the purpose that those things are designed to carry. The problem is that the life of God and the purpose is the whole reason for doing them. The whole reason. What Ken spoke about last week, God becoming a reality to you. When the truth of God's love and purpose for living and doing anything is revealed to you by the Holy Spirit, you start wanting to do things that you didn't care about before. God's gracious and even that when we do things without knowing a whole lot of the meaning, but because we see them in here, he can still bring the meaning to us. Amen. I gave my life to Jesus as a teenager because I was thinking about eternity after my life was over. But I wasn't planning on making a lot of changes before that point. But around the time I asked Jesus to come into my life, something did 
change in me. I wanted to do things that before that point had no meaning to me. I kind of wanted to read the Bible. Kind of. And I wanted to be baptized. It wasn't something I had to do because nobody was putting that requirement on me. But it was suddenly appealing. The Holy Spirit does that. He changes what's important to us. Sometimes it's little by little, and sometimes it's big and immediate, and you can't get around it, and you don't want to get around it, and you change everything to line up with that. It was something to do before God, not for him as a task, but before him as a sign of affection and obedience. So I was baptized. My uncle was a pastor, and I was baptized alongside my brothers and my parents in our grandparents' pool. My sister was too young. She wouldn't have understood it, so she did it later. We were each other's witnesses. We did it as a family. We've been commissioned to do it. It's a nice picture. I like the picture of that. Just saying. We've been commissioned to do it by Jesus. Baptism's an essential part of the Great Commission. And that word, commission, isn't in the Bible, but we use that word. We call it that. So here's the definition so we know what we're working with. Its use as a noun is something we're familiar with. An instruction, a command, or duty given to a person or group of people. As a verb, though, It's to bring something newly produced into working condition. That's cool. We can think of baptism as a formality, but it's a part of God's process of building his church and preparing his bride. Now, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, excuse me. We'll read this together. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. We could also call this authorized to baptize. All authority has been given to me, so go. Baptism is the first thing mentioned as part of the commission to make disciples of nations. It's important when something is the first thing mentioned. And we're not just talking about people, it's nations. This automatically gives baptism purpose and life-giving properties because what God calls us to do will bring us life and bring it to those around us unless we do it just to do it. Our actions and our words are to have meaning and purpose. If you've been baptized as an adult or a kid, I encourage you not to tune out. Oh, he's talking to me. When we start thinking, I know all about this, been there, done that, we begin our own spiritual decline. We don't hear that a lot, but it's true. 
1 Corinthians 13, 9 says, we know in part. We just don't know how much of that part that we know. Derek Prince said in his book, Repent and Believe, part of a series on foundations of faith, that everywhere the, word, the Greek word baptizo, which is where we get our word baptize, that's probably not hard to figure out, is used in the New Testament. Every baptism, when considered as an experience, is both total and transitional. It's total in the sense that it involves the whole person and the whole personality of the one being baptized. It's transitional in the sense that for the person being baptized, it marks a transition. Passing out of one stage or realm of experience, as he puts it, into a new stage or realm of experience that you have never previously entered into. This is true whether we're aware of it or not. Just like God's presence and his nature are available to you, whether you know it or not. When we become aware of that, of the new creation that we are, it changes how we think of God and how we think of ourselves and our past and our future. You can be baptized, but the real intent can be lost without the recognition of what's happening. We're baptized as a new creation, not to become one. In Acts 19, verse 4, then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people they should, that they should believe on him who would come after, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They repented and were then baptized out of faith. It's a baptism of repentance, not a baptism to repent. Our, our word repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia, which simply means to change the mind. It is wonderfully simple. Change the way you think. The people who were baptized in the Bible had enough understanding of their salvation. In other words, their minds had begun to be renewed to see Jesus as he is, as the Messiah, the Christ, as Lord. They decided for themselves to demonstrate it publicly through baptism. Two of my three kids told me they wanted to be baptized. They're not that old. Now they're 12 and nine, but they weren't when they got baptized. The other one's five, so he's got time to work that out. But my older two started that conversation with me. All I did was ask them some questions to make sure they would kind of understand what it would mean to them. I didn't want them going in blind. If you force someone to make a decision like that, the meaning can be lost for them. And the meaning is the whole point. It's a demonstration. It's a symbol that's filled with other symbols. And we're going to get into some of those symbols. They're awesome. A symbolic demonstration is just that symbolic. It can't save you. It's not a precursor to salvation, and it doesn't cause salvation. If you haven't gotten that yet, you might hear it some more. 
Baptism can't be required for salvation because the sin nature that we're born with is a spiritual problem. And a physical action alone can't resolve a spiritual problem. That's why going to church and doing church things doesn't change who you are. It doesn't make you a child of God. If it did, I would have been saved as a young kid because we went to church, but my life wouldn't have reflected any change. Unless physical actions are done in faith, out of conviction of the heart, they can condition us to believing that things God calls us to do will have no effect on us. And then it's like, why be called? Why care about it? Physical things often represent spiritual things because our minds naturally understand physical things before spiritual ones. So God uses physical things to aid our thinking and reinforce them. We're born into a physical world and we learn things that way. We do not have to be taught that. So baptism is a physical act that symbolizes that a spiritual, inner, invisible decision has been made and a journey and process has begun. The process is not always the fun part at almost any point, but it is a process. First, a person decides to follow Jesus on the inside, and then Matthew 12, 34, and Luke 6, 45, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. They confess it with their mouth in some way. It gives what they say meaning and effect. Second, a person's baptized to demonstrate the decision they've made on the inside. And it backs up or supports or reinforces what they've said with their mouth. When I was in school and we'd be playing basketball, and you can see by my incredible stature and my massive hands how good I was at basketball. But people would talk themselves up that couldn't really play. So we'd say, your mouth is writing checks that your body can't cash. <laughs> they didn't, and dare I say, couldn't put into practice what they had said. Baptism's part of a commitment to that. If you've done it, and you didn't understand it. Let's say you were baptized as a young kid, or maybe older, and you agreed to it because your friend did it and that made it cool, or maybe your parents thought it was a good idea, so that made it a good idea for you. None of that means you did it wrong. You need to establish that. If it's simply done to be done, or when it's really someone else's decision, its effectiveness on your life can be lost. Baptism's intended to be done with meaning and purpose so that it can have an effect on us and those around us. The sooner this has meaning to us, the sooner we can align ourselves with the purpose of what he calls us to do. That takes us from obeying like robots in servants. What we hear, servant, servant's a good word. It could bring you to obeying out of sonship and love for the Lord. 
I did appreciate being baptized from my own understanding of it at the time. But we can find in our walk with the Lord, in our time with him, that there's more to him. We get revelation. If you've been baptized, but you feel a conviction, like there wasn't much intent in it for you at that time, some people choose to do it again. We had someone get baptized at our last baptism event, uh, baptized again, last time we did it. There's history to water baptism. Listen to this about immersion. Immersion's nothing new to the Jewish people. Its purpose has always been for cleansing, but not physical cleansing. Maimonides, a great Jewish sage, said, uncleanness is not of mud or filth which water can remove, but it's a matter of scriptural decree and dependent on the intention of the heart. This is a long time ago. Thus, rabbinical thought holds that there must be a special intent for being immersed or there is no value in the immersion. I didn't say it. John the Baptist came out of the wilderness of Judea to preach a message of repentance to his people. He was to prepare them for the Messiah and the coming kingdom. Jewish people from Jerusalem and all of Judea came to him to be immersed in the Jordan River where they publicly confessed their sins. These were Jewish people called by a Jewish prophet to do a perfectly inacceptable, necessary, in Old Testament law, biblical thing. Immerse in a body of moving water to publicly express an inward reality. In this case, it was to, to express sorrow for sin. Remember what the rabbis said, there must be special intent or the immersion is useless. Followers of Jesus today don't receive baptism because there's something unique or powerful about the water. It's without a heart decision, without that intent of the heart, as described by the rabbis, that baptism is just a public show. But when, we, when people recognize that they're sinners and that the provision to satisfy a holy God has been met through the person of the Messiah, Jesus they want to identify with his death and resurrection. Our next slide is a picture. Let's put that up. This is a mikvah. It looks a little like a spa. It's like a little pool and would remind you of a baptistry. The word mikvah means collection or gathering because the water needs to come together naturally. So it's either from a spring or from rainwater that's been collected. This is so that the water can be living water. It's part of the conversion process to Judaism and it's Old Testament law. When something is law, there's a necessary and precise way to follow it. We don't need to follow this as law because there's nothing for us to accomplish. Jesus has already done it. Ceremonies in Jewish culture so often point to what Jesus fulfilled. It's our privilege as believers in the Messiah to live in and celebrate their meaning and the fulfillment that Jesus provided. Listen to this about the mikvah. It'll sound like our transition from spiritually dead before salvation to spiritually alive at the moment of it. And it will sound like the right thing so clearly. You can just change the word Jew 
to believer in Jesus. Immersion in the mikvah actualizes the transition between the convert's old identity and their new one as a Jew. This is in the case of proselytizing, a Gentile becoming a Jew. My father-in-law is Jewish by blood, and he was raised that way. My, my mother-in-law wasn't. So in order to marry him, she had to go through this process and become a Jew. There's a physical act that a person can perform in order to symbolize a radical change of heart, a total commitment. There's a sign so uh, dramatic, dynamic, and all-encompassing that it represents the radical change undergone by the convert to Judaism. It's a profound symbol. The person places themselves in a radically different physical environment, water instead of air. This is going to break down the process for you. This leaves them floating, momentarily suspended, without breathing, substituting the usual forward-moving nature and purposeful stride with an aimlessness, a weightlessness, a detachment from the former environment. Individuality and passion and ego are all submerged in the metamorphosis from the present to a new existence. It's intense. No other symbolic act can so totally embrace a person as being submerged in water, which must touch every, touch and cover every lesion, every strand of hair, every birthmark. Spiritually, this is how God covers you with himself, with his son's righteousness. No other religious act is so freighted with meaning as this one, which touches every aspect of life and proclaims a total commitment to a new idea and a new way of life as it swallows up the old and gives birth to the new. This gives me goosebumps. The water of the mikvah is designed to ritually cleanse a person from the deeds of the past. We know that salvation does that. The convert is considered by Jewish law to be like a newborn child. The mikvah water prepares them to confront God, life, and people with a fresh spirit and new eyes. It washes away the past. Salvation does that, leaving only the future. Of course, this doesn't deny that there were good and beautiful aspects of the past. But in the strictest religious sense, the past was only a prologue to the future life as a Jew. In a sense, it's nothing short of the spiritual drama of death and rebirth. Submerging into waters over their head, they enter into an environment in which they can't breathe and can't live longer than a few moments. It is the death of all that has gone before. Same as salvation. As they emerge from the waters into the clear air, they begin to breathe anew and live anew as a baby being born. This is a literal depiction of the amount of your life the Father intends to transform through the Holy Spirit with his very presence and his power. This is the plan from heaven when you decide to trust him. When you decide 
When it comes to the mikvah, by rule, every physically accessible point on your body is to be accessed by that water. No stone, in a sense, is to be left unturned. In the same way, no aspect of your life is meant to be untouched or uninfluenced by the Holy Spirit. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, all of it. Your job, your family, your wallet. This is the same physical thing that happens at Christian baptism. It's the same spiritual thing that happens at salvation. Even the motion of going down backwards into the water, reclining. To me, I personally believe it symbolizes our past being given to him. And when you start going back up, you're still, you're still in the water, still touching you. It shows me that his pa- your past stays with him. The water is eventually drained, or if you're in a river, it flows out, flows away, but not a drop of that water stays there. Not one drop. What we see there is God choosing to forget your past, not holding a single thing against you that would have a factor in determining your present circumstances or your future. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, if you combine them, his mercies are new every morning, not tainted by what you've done or who you've been or even what you've thought because it's been washed away by Jesus' blood. We've been talking about purpose. Let's talk about urgency. People in the baptized, sorry, people in the Bible were baptized very soon after salvation, if not immediately after. So their action could coincide with their decision. It shows that salvation is intended to be a rebirth for your spirit, your soul, and your body. The inner decision to trust Jesus with your life and baptism to symbolize that inner decision were to be a coincidence to happen together as simultaneously as possible. That also let their family and community live alongside them in real time with an understanding of the commitment they had made. That is helpful. Think of when a child has something new or unexpected happen to them. We don't hear many stories of the kid sauntering casually up to their mom or dad to tell them about a new thing. It's because the child wants them to know instantly. The kid lives in the moment and wants their parent to know their status as close to that moment as they can. Your kid can be outside or halfway across the house. And what do we hear? Mom, 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 mom. I'm a dad, just being real. When a parent hears that something happened to their kid in the past, but they weren't aware of it, what's one of the first things they want to ask? Why didn't you tell me? The parent wants the opportunity to live in sync with their child's life. In the case of baptism, 
so did the family and friends. Being baptized in water with witnesses there, it's a picture. It's a representation of being born again into God's family instead of just your natural family. This isn't about identifying with Jesus. It isn't just about that. It's also about identifying him. Psalm 46.10 says, from the Father's perspective, be still and know that I'm God. The Passion Translation includes a phrase before this. Surrender your anxiety. In other words, relax. This past week, the AC went out in our house on a very hot day. And then we had a car repair to deal with. And then some other issues happened. I haven't been so good at relaxing. And I pulled my wife into how I was feeling. God has been calling me to relax, despite what the world has been showing me. And that water, even momentarily, everything's still. Since baptism is a symbol, what's symbolized there? His stillness, his relaxation, his security. Think about this. Being in that water is identifying with Christ's physical death. It's as if you died. And when you've died, nothing that bothered you previously can touch you anymore. The true emotionally confident state of Jesus Christ, the King, is there. No rushing. No worry. No panic. No doubt. That's his point of view about himself and you. He is still, and yet he is active. You're still, and you're being acted upon. Why only for a moment during the process? The word baptizo is known historically to mean dip or submerge, but there's an ending to it, to take it back out again. So we can breathe. I believe it's because God knows that our life and our thinking works in moments because he designed us that way. I believe he's showing us 2 Corinthians 10, 5, that we can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Behold, <clears throat> beholding his goodness and his security in those moments above the demands of some of those thoughts. Because beholding him makes other things pale in comparison. We can take our thoughts captive and bring them under subjection of the peace and stillness of the king. I know that I make better decisions when I'm calm. My wife will agree. If I'm in a tense situation, I can make a decision but the chances are it won't be my proudest one. The effects of that will take time to deal with. We have some baptism events on the calendar for the coming months, one at the end of June and one later on in the summer. There will be an interest meeting today, a few minutes after we end, 
and we're, we're about to close in just a few more minutes. It'll be in the room at the front of the church. It'll be short. We'll go over practicals, like what we'll do, so you'll know what to expect. Even if only one person shows up, we're doing this. Don't base your decision on how someone else might feel about it. It's between you and the Lord. We'll have childcare for you, too. If you don't know if you're safe, or if you know you're not, I encourage you to come forward and pray with someone. There will be people here to pray with you. I'm going to pray now, and when I'm done, they're going to play a song. And the song is written from the perspective of God to you. Just listen to it as you pray. Father, you are good. You have planned and provided for us and loved us perfectly. And your only plan is to keep doing that. Holy Spirit, bring revelation to your people. Bring stillness and peace and security to your people. We bless you. 